I trust you have your Bibles in your hands this morning as we turn once again in God's Word to find in the encouragement that we need to continue on in our earthly sojourn through this life. We turn in the first place this morning to Psalm 122 before turning secondly to Revelation chapter 21. Continuing our series of these songs of ascents, we come to Psalm 122. A song of ascents, a song of David. I was glad when they said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. There thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls, and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, Peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. Turn also to Revelation chapter 21. Carries us forward in redemptive history to the new Jerusalem. We'll read the whole chapter together. Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels, who had the seven bulls full of the seven last plagues. And he spoke to me, saying, Come, and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like like a most rare jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates gates, twelve angels, and on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, twelve thousand stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, 
while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agite, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophrase, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So far, the reading of God's holy word may bless that to us as we meditate upon it this morning. Dear brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Spirit of Christ takes us this morning to the top of the hill. He has given us in this song of Psalm 122 a a serene vision for the future, a vision that, that takes us forward in redemptive history all the way to the world of Revelation chapter 21, where the new Jerusalem has finally come down from heaven, a city which God has prepared just for us, a city where Tears have been wiped away from our eyes. A city where mourning and crying and and pain are no more. A glorious city where the former things of this life have finally passed away. A glorious city where God the Lord is the temple and the Lamb is the Lamb of God who has taken away all our sins. I trust you can see the progression, these first three songs of ascents. In the first song, a song for sojourners, the psalmist found himself at the bottom of the hill. He was reminded by the Spirit of Christ that he lives in a world of lies, that he lives in a world that does not have the real answers, the real solutions to the brokenness of life. And so he resolved in his heart that he must embark upon a sojourn onward to the Lord's dwelling. And the second song, a song for the helpless, as the pilgrim lifted his eyes up to the hills, he, he asked himself the question, from where is my help going to come? And the Spirit of Christ gave him the grace to say, my help will come from the Lord, who made the heavens and the earth. The Spirit of Christ consoled the pilgrim's heart with God's promises that the Lord neither slumbers nor sleeps, that the Lord is the pilgrim's keeper, that he is indeed our shade, our right hand, and he gives us shelter under the shadow of the cross. That song was a metaphor, speaking not only of of the pilgrim's journey to Jerusalem in the Old Testament, but but a metaphor for the entirety of his life. It was a metaphor for our lives as well. That as we sojourn to the greater Mount Zion, God will be our help. He will keep us from all evil. He will keep our lives 
he will keep our going out and our coming in from this time forth and forevermore. But now here in Psalm 122, the psalmist has finally made it. He's finally made it to the top of the hill. And so the song before us this morning is written almost as a postcard for those who who were not able to embark upon the journey with him. A a postcard that, that reassures the saints below us saying, we finally made it. And it's far beyond what we ever could have imagined. For although the psalmist has left his earthly home, the tents of of Meshach and Cater, Psalm 120, the psalmist has now come to his true home, to the glorious house of the Lord. As he now stands in the breathtaking Old Testament Jerusalem, the the psalmist paints a picture such that we can almost feel as though we're, we're standing right there with him. The song serves to remind us today that when God's people assemble together on the earth, as his people used to do in the Old Testament Jerusalem year after year, that as God's people assemble together as the people of the Lord, they receive a foretaste of heaven, a glorious appetizer, as it were, of the greater feast that is to come. To be sure, in the songs that lie ahead of us, the Spirit of Christ is is going to take us back to the bottom of the hill. The Spirit of Christ will will continue to give us portraits of what our world is really like. He'll invite us to take a step back to see our world from different vantage points, from the vantage point of our misery, from the vantage point of our being oppressed by our enemies, from the vantage point of not always being able to understand why things are the way they are and, and why things are going the way they're going. But this morning, the Spirit of Christ offers us a brief reprieve from those portraits of the world. And he takes us to a different scene, to a different setting, to a serene setting of great joy and gladness. And we need that, don't we? We need to be reminded this morning of the great glory and blessing of worshiping God with the people of God. Because this morning we find ourselves very much living in the tension between verses 1 and 2 of this song. I hope and trust that all of us can can still say in faith, Yes, I I was glad when they said me, let us go. Let us go to the house of the Lord. Even though for the time being our feet are not planted here in the assembly, but rather in our living rooms. And yet Psalm 122 is a song that that we can sing today with even greater joy, with even greater clarity than the psalmist could sing so long ago. We, of course, recognize that from Genesis to Revelation, God is is telling one story of, of saving a people in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why we, too, can sing these words about Jerusalem, recognizing that that when the people of Israel sang these words so many years ago, they, they saw only shadows. But we sing this song in the fullness of the gospel of Christ, of his coming and in the assurance of his second coming. And when we consider the glorious gift that God gave to his people then, a, a glorious city with, with walls and towers to protect them, a glorious city with a glorious temple where they would know his presence, 
then we come to appreciate in an even greater way the protection and the presence that God affords us today and, and especially when we're able to assemble together on the Lord's day. Yes, the words of the song before us speak to having finally made it to the top of the hill. And yet this song was not only sung when God's people were at the top of the hill, but also when they found themselves at the bottom of the hill and as they made their way up to the top of the hill. Those who were faithful in Israel treasured these words up in their hearts, even when they were so far from home, so far away from Jerusalem, the city of peace. As I've said before, Christ has given us songs to sing for every occasion. And he has done that for us today as well. He has given us another song in the same vein of Psalms 42 and Psalm 84, songs about worshiping the Lord with the people of the Lord. And in this song, Christ gives his pilgrims hope in the midst of their homesickness. And so if you find yourselves this morning feeling so sick and tired of the world, if you feel in your heart that you are homesick for heaven, ready to to stand within the gates of the new Jerusalem, then Christ has given us this song. He has given this song for you. Christ himself has has placed that longing for peace in the pilgrim's heart. He teaches us to live that peace, to pray for that peace. And he gives us hope for our homesickness. If you still have your Bibles open, you'll notice that this song is also broken into three separate stanzas, and we'll look at this psalm in that light this morning. We're struck in the first place by the pilgrim people of peace, who they are and, and what they say to each other. We consider in the second place the preeminent place of peace, where where the peace of Christ is most tangibly experienced. And then we'll consider lastly the passionate prayer for peace, how Christ calls us to pray for the fullness of that peace. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Commenting on this first verse, one writer highlights the fact that this psalm is indeed a psalm of worship, a demonstration of what God's people always have done and what they will always continue to do. Psalm 122 brings the holy city before the pilgrim's eyes, and as he he makes his way to worship within her gates, he, he sings of her with wonder and joy. His joy comes not from the prospect of of vacation, but rather the prospect of worship. He writes from the vantage point of one who has traveled from afar for one of these three yearly feasts in Jerusalem. He's been encouraged by, by fellow pilgrims have said, come, let us, let us go to the house of the Lord. The words of Psalm 27 have been written on his heart. One thing have I asked for, one thing do I seek? that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to, to inquire in his temple. Does the psalmist's joy and excitement still resonate with you this morning, people of God? I hope and pray that it does. I hope and pray that this second lockdown has been reinforcing in our hearts 
to say, yes, I, I understand the joy of this psalm far better than I ever understood it before. Because now that it's been taken away, I long for it all the more. As the people of Israel embarked on this journey to Jerusalem year after year, the, the journey served to, to remind them again and again of, of who they were and, and what they were, that they were the, the special people of God's own possession, whom God had called out of the world into the many blessings of his covenant of grace. As they embarked upon the journey, their supplies strapped their backs, their sandals on their feet. They were reminded year after year that this world was not their home, that they were pilgrims. They were sojourners on the earth, seeking a a greater city whose, whose builder and designer was God as Abraham did long before them. And that's what going to church does for us as well. According to the riches of his grace, Christ has place in our hearts the, the desire to worship the Lord, to remind us week after week that we are a pilgrim people, that this world is not our home. According to the riches of His grace, Christ placed in the hearts of His pilgrims the, the yearning of Psalm 84, my soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. Blessed are those who, who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise, Blessed are those whose strength is in the Lord, in whose hearts are are the highways to Zion. For one day in the house of the Lord is better than a thousand elsewhere. Is this confession still your confession, people of God? Is this longing still your longing? If it is, then give thanks to the Lord, for it is... He who has graciously placed that longing in your hearts. It would seem as though many miles lie between verses 1 and 2. But here in verse 2, the psalmist has finally arrived. His feet are, are standing within Jerusalem's gates. Having left the, the world's house of lies behind him, he is now drawn near to, the God, to God's house of truth. In Psalm 120, the psalmist cried out to God, Too long I've had my dealing with those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. But now the psalmist is surrounded by peaceful pilgrims. And he is ever eager to be near the house of the Lord, where the gospel is proclaimed in the sacrifices, where, where the aroma of redemption of God's saving grace fills the air as as the offerings, the burnt offerings, go up to God. Jerusalem has not grown old on the psalmist. The psalmist hasn't gotten used to the grace of God. God's grace hasn't become old hat. Maybe God has been teaching us to to think about that in this lockdown again, to, to, to reawaken our consciences lest we take for granted the grace of God. That if church was becoming old, just same old thing, Sunday after Sunday, well, we, we, we can miss today because we always have next Sunday. 
Perhaps God is stirring these things in our hearts. So we might say with the psalmist, Jerusalem hasn't gotten old on us. God's grace hasn't gotten old on us. The psalmist is still overjoyed to be a member of the community of the redeemed, to celebrate the wonders and the works of the Lord. And so he speaks of this city, this place where where the house of the Lord testifies to all his covenant promises that that God will be their God and they will be his people, that God will, will dwell in their midst. He speaks of this city almost as though he were seeing it for the very first time. For he rightly understands by faith that Jerusalem as God's own city was a shadow of the far greater city to come. The psalmist has finally come to realize that his home is indeed with the Lord of hosts. And he does not take that for granted. The psalmist exclaims in the second stanza of the song, Jerusalem is, is built up, as I say, that is firmly bound together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as well as decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. There the thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. In stark contrast to the division and strife of the world of Psalm 120, Psalm 122 introduces us to a world of security and unity, which is why this city is the preeminent place of peace. Some of you may recall from redemptive history how how prior to the reign of King David, Jerusalem had the Jebusites had a stronghold over Jerusalem, such that when the people came into the promised land, they, they could not take the city captive. But in 2 Samuel 5, King David prevailed where his forefathers had failed. He, he took the stronghold, made it the capital of a new kingdom, a picture of the kingdom of God. And in chapter 6, he, he brought the ark of God into that city, right in the middle of the city. And David danced for joy as God would dwell there in that city. King David began to build up its walls to fortify the city. But when he brought the ark of God into Jerusalem, the city of David became the city of God. Jerusalem became the home of the house of the Lord. And so in the eyes of the Old Testament believer, no city in all the earth was was as beautiful as Jerusalem. Being bound together, it was carefully designed for the safety and security of its citizens. The most beautiful city in all the, in all the world, the joy of all the earth, Psalm 48 says. Such that when the queen of Sheba came to, to test Psalm with hard questions, what do we read? We read that her breath was taken away by how glorious this city of Jerusalem was. That the people of Israel could sing Mount Zion's walls. Behold, about her ramparts go and and number all the lofty towers that, that guard her from the foe. Observe her palaces, mark her defenses well. That to the children after you, her glories you may tell. For God is our own God, will forever abide. Until life's journey close in death, he will be our faithful guide. The security of this place, you see, was, was tantamount of the security of God's promises. 
That's what the walls, that's what the towers were about. Serving to point them forward to the greater protection of the Lord, to the, to the promise of the Lord to, to keep them safe from all their spiritual enemies. But more than providing security, we notice in the second place, the Jerusalem also gave expression to glorious unity. Jerusalem is built up, as I say, that is bound firmly together to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord. There, of course, was a great diversity between the twelve tribes of Israel, and yet they comprised but one people of the Lord. And as the tribes of Israel ascended the hill of the Lord year after year, they had planted in their hearts the the hope of Isaiah chapter 2, where Isaiah foretold that, that a day was coming when, when all tribes, all nations would, would go to the house of the Lord. In that chapter of his prophecy, Isaiah foretold that it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, shall be lifted up above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we might walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. In his glorious vision of the new Jerusalem, this is what the Apostle John sees as well as, as the twelve tribes become symbolic of, of the completeness of God's people throughout the earth. Where all of God's people come and, and hear him say from the throne, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And, and God himself will be with them as their God. In verse 4, we discover that these diverse saints who have come together being unified in their identity are also unified in their purpose. According to the decrees of the Lord, they have come to give thanks to the name of the Lord. They've come to give him thanks for his redeeming grace. That's what the Passover feast is all about, to, to look back together as a people, to remember how God saved them as a people from Egypt. Finally, in verse 5, we discover they are united also by their king. In Jerusalem, the thrones of judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Jerusalem was the place where God's people most tangibly experienced the blessing of belonging to God's kingdom. It was there that they were reminded not only of the sacrifices that took away sins, but also of the promise that a greater king was coming to set them free from all their enemies, even sin and Satan and death. Old Testament Jerusalem, you see, was similar to the gathering of the local church today. It served to point God's people forward to the new Jerusalem where, where he who is seated on the throne says, Behold, I, I am making all things new again. Spiritually speaking, you see, there was no other city like this in all the world. Of course, in the eyes of the world, Jerusalem didn't amount to much. Compared to the surrounding nations around her, Jerusalem was not so great. Her walls were not so tall. 
In the eyes of the world still today, there is nothing so glorious about the church of Christ, nothing, nothing glorious about men and women and boys and girls coming to church to, to sing praises to God. But we who know Christ know that there is nothing so glorious in all of life as entering the presence of God in corporate worship, where God rends the heavens and he, and he comes down to, to meet his people. God comes down to meet them with grace and peace the same way he met his people Israel so long ago with grace and peace as the lambs were sacrificed on the altar. And so the psalmist sings in the final stanza pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. The songs of ascents remind us, don't they, that the Christian life was never intended to be lived in, in isolation from each other. But the Christian life is intended to be lived in light of the reality that God has, has not so much saved for himself individual persons, but he saved for himself a people. A covenant people who, like living stones, are being built together as a spiritual house, as the Apostle Peter says. A people who, who say to each other and to the world, once we, we were not a people, but, but now we are God's people. Once we had received no mercy, but now we have received the mercy of God in, in abundance. To say we are a pilgrim people whose citizenship is in heaven. We live on this earthly colony. But we fix our eyes on high where Christ is seated at God's right hand. Two verses in this song speak of the pilgrim's joy and gladness, verses 1 and 2. Three verses speak of his security and unity in the Lord, verses 3 through 5. But the last four verses speak of the pilgrim's passionate prayer for peace. Peace in Jerusalem. Peace among the people of God. So you might ask ourselves, why this great focus on prayer? Why, why this focus on prayer among and, and for the people of God? It's because peace is something we oftentimes take for granted. As one preacher answers, the psalmist ends with this prayer for peace because peace is a gift of God that comes only through the gospel. If there were no gospel, there would be no peace. If there were no gospel, there would be no prayer. If there were no gospel, there would be no people. Saying, come, let us go to the house of the Lord. There'd be no people to pray for. were not for the gospel, there would be no lasting home for us to long for. But the gospel undergirds this song, doesn't it? That as we long for heaven, as we long for the restoration or renewal of all things, Christ gives us this hope of the gospel in the midst of our homesickness. 
by his spirit, he puts this song in our hearts, this, this love for God, this love for, for worship, this love for the people of God. Christ puts this song in our hearts. Because we know that Christ, of course, was the ultimate pilgrim of peace, wasn't he? Christ was the ultimate pilgrim of peace. He didn't, in the first place, travel to God's house, but he traveled from God's house. Having come down from his home in heaven to sojourn with us on the earth, Christ, too, knew what it was like to feel homesick. He, too, knew what it was like to long for his glorious home in heaven. For our sakes, Christ came down to be our fellow pilgrim, to sojourn with us. Came down from heaven to sing our songs. Or that we might have a sympathetic Savior who knows what it is to, to be a sojourner on the earth. And isn't it Christ who even now sings this final stanza so perfectly for us? As our merciful intercessor, isn't it Christ who who here and now prays for our security. As our Hebrews chapter 2 older brother, doesn't Christ contain to pray for us, his, his brothers and his companions? The author of Hebrews says that Christ does pray for us in that way. He, he stands for his Father and says, I, I am not ashamed to, to call these pilgrims my brothers and sisters. He says, Behold, O God, it is is I and the children you have given to me. Christ prays for the family of God, for her peace. He does not cease from praying that even for a moment. And as our older brother people of God, Christ calls us to join with him in that prayer. According to the psalmist, the church of Christ needs your prayers. If you love the church, then you will pray for her peace, both universally as well as locally. If you love the church of Christ, then you will pray for his people, for your brothers and sisters, for your companions. If you love the church, then you'll miss going to church, to the house of the Lord, to celebrate this peace. If you love Christ and his people, you will seek to live as pilgrims of peace, to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, to long for that peace. To pray for peace, you see, is not simply to pray for for the absence of conflict. That is certainly part of it. Perhaps that's a big part of it in our churches today, to pray for peace, for, for the removal of conflict. But to pray for peace, to pray for shalom in the Hebrew, is really to pray for for perfect wholeness. To pray for for a world made entirely right, where the curse of sin is no longer seen. To pray for peace, to pray for shalom, is to pray for the new Jerusalem, to long for it. To live in this life always in light of it to recognize that it's good and right to feel homesick for heaven because the hope of the gospel is that Christ is indeed coming to take us home. He will indeed on the last day wipe every tear from our eyes. He will take us to a place where death shall be no more, 
Well, there will be no more crying or pain or tears anymore where the former things will have passed away. And so we can sing this morning, I know not, oh, I know not what joys await us there, what radiance of glory, what bliss beyond compare. But this we do know. There is the throne of David. And there from all care release the song of them that triumph, the shout of them that feast. But until that day, let us say with the psalmist, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. May we pray for her peace. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we come before you again as pilgrims, as sojourners on the earth. We pray, Lord, that you would write these words in our hearts, that we would sing this song, we would live this song. Lord, we long to say with the body again, our feet are standing within your gates. We thank you, Lord, that you continue to show us the power of your presence in the assembly of the saints. And so it is for that reason, Lord, that we long for it. That we long to receive again the foretaste of the new heaven and the new earth. And so we pray that you would bring it to pass in your good timing and providence. We thank you, O Lord, for granting us security and unity according to your promises. That in all things we know that Christ is on the throne of David in heaven. That all cares we are released from. Father, we pray for peace. We pray for shalom in your church. Father, teach us to pray this way, to join our older brother in praying for peace. Teach us to live this peace, to long for this peace, the peace of a new city where all tears have been wiped away from our eyes and where the former things have finally passed away. These things we ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.